Hello, 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 everybody. This is uh, No Chick Flick Moments, a supernatural watchcast, and I am your co-host, Remy. Hi, I'm your other co-host, B. And today, we are talking about Season 14, Episode 2, Gods and Monsters. Yay! Yay! This episode was written by uh, Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming, and directed by Richard Spate Jr., Good old Gabriel. <laughs> Good old Gabriel. Um, I did not. I did not know going into this that this episode was directed by uh, Rich. So I completely forgot that. <laughs> I. I'm. I'm not. I will be the first to admit that I'm not. Uh, I do not typically pay over much attention to the writers or the directors, with a few exceptions. Yeah, there's some situations where I'll finish the episode and then I'll go, okay, that was really good. Now, who did that? And then <laughs> sort of acquired taste for the writing teams from there. But mm-hmm. we're learning more about the writers as we actually pay attention to the episodes a little bit more with these with these watches, yes. for sure. So <laughs> the description for this episode um, is... Sam finds a clue to Dean's whereabouts, so he, Mary, and Bobby set out to investigate. Castiel imparts some sage advice on Jack, who, still desperate to belong, seeks out a familial connection. <sighs> <laughs> Quite a bit was going on in this one. Tell, tell me what's up. Okay, so we start off in this derelict church where there's a bunch of people tied up and there is a dude bleeding out on the pulpit (laughs) into this chalice. And Michael shows up in a suit, but with an apron, he adds some grace to the blood in the chalice, feeds it back to the dude, and then the guy straight up Electra Boops dies. With a... (laughs) Wait, what was that that you just said? Electra what now? Electro Boop. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Electro boop. (laughs) You can repeat repeat it all you want. I, what? Um, um, what would I just, the definition I guess would be, it comes from playing Super Smash Brothers and having Pikachu (laughs) as like a main as a 15 year old. (laughs) And like when Pikachu would use his powers, we just called it like electro boops. So, like, not enough to kill you. So, I guess it's not technically a descriptive that it should be used at this point, but it's an electro boop. He lights up from the inside like a Christmas tree. See, I was about to apologize for giggling when you said a guy tied up at the altar. And I, like, but no, that was way worse. Electro boop. I'm All sorry. Right. I, I call it like I see it. To be fair, I did hear boob like four I, times. I was like, how do so. I do like the pee popping sound without offending my microphone? <laughs> Electro I oh my god, my notes even say electro boobs. <laughs> Damn it. Um moving on. Moving mm-hmm. on. <laughs> yeah, so Michael we- kills the guy and he just calls it disappointing and immediately drags them off into the heap of other dead. So, starting out strong. The knife flick, the way that he pulls it out from his apron. Oh, just, yes. <laughs> yes, that was that was pretty smooth though. That was pretty good. Mhm. That was a pretty nice introduction cuz what we saw of him last episode was more on the hunt, and now we're seeing Michael almost playful. Mm-hmm. And I 
well, we'll talk about it later, but um, I liked the flippancy uh, of this scene in, from yeah. Michael's perspective. Yeah, because on the last episode, the way that he ended speaking to the vampire, I again, I got the impression that he was just looking for something to be obedient, something to be a pet. And so when he had this guy tied up at the pulpit and was like massaging his neck and going, good boy, it just further reinforced that feeling of like he wants subservient people around him. He wants something that he is in command of and he doesn't have particular degree of respect for those that he wants to command mm-hmm, for sure and then we have um bobby and mary we cut to the bunker yep we're in the library and bobby is complaining that michael has chosen duluth of all places in october <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I i don't actually even know where duluth is is it ohio you're asking me about america Mont- oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Midwest is my guess. Final answer. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, well, we'll just let that one slide. Yeah, I definitely failed my eighth grade blank map um, geography test. So, oh, well. I'm, I'm going to Google because I won't be able to rest. I think it's Minnesota. It's Minnesota. It's Minnesota. I guessed right. Actually, yeah. I said Ohio first, so I, I, don't get a, <laughs> I don't get a pass on that one. I guess, like, the Midwest was its own fucking <laughs> state, okay? Like, you did better by far. <laughs> yeah, then Bobby throws out this insult about angels, and Cass is right there, and he's like, no, I, I'm no offense to this. I tend to side with you anyways. Uh-huh, that was fun. That was a good little cast stinger. Mm-hmm. And Sam, of course, breaks out his trusty laptop and he has news about bodies being found by train tracks in Duluth. And they figure that this is a sign that is relating to Michael and they're going to go check it out. But first, they explain why Cass isn't going to be tagging along. Well, it, they very awkwardly explain why Cass is not going to be tag alo- tagging along like uh, uh, Sam with this little patronizing like, so do you remember why you can't come? Yeah, and- it's the adult with both hands on the knees bending forward talking to the five-year-old like, okay, sweetie, now do you <laughs> understand? But then Cass going, yes, you need me to babysit. Like he's immediately condescending. Back. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and, and I can't, I can't enter Michael's vicinity without him sensing me. And it's like, it's like, okay, a little bit too much exposition in the writing. Like you don't have to tell us all that. Like, it was a little heavy handed, <laughs> but I did like the excuse for Cass to kind of snap back saying it's not babysitting only in the sense that they are not babies. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> otherwise, that's exactly what I'm doing here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Salty cast a little bit there. So Cass says, like, Jack is still feeling lost and Nick is just a mess. But Sam wants him to have... Okay. We get the first insight in this episode, right, as to really why Sam wants to keep Nick around. Or not why he wants to, but why he feels he should, right? Because he says he wants Nick to have a shot at rebuilding his life. And you can see Cass's reaction was kind of like this squint, like, okay. Like, he wasn't quite understanding Sam's motives, even with that explanation. Yeah, and this is the first time that we're hearing that, that that sympathy for Nick. Um, I mean, the last episode, it was it, we're only two episodes in, and the last episode... I think Sam definitely gave the impression that 
if anything, uh, Nick was a possible source of information, right? Yeah. That there was some, I, would, I don't know if I would say guilt, but there was some feeling there that there was an onus to make sure that he at least got his footing back because he was suffering from nightmares and just having a terrible go of it. And three weeks on now, they are hoping that he's gained some ground. Now, yeah. But back at the library, Jack enters and he's like, yeah, I have trouble looking at Nick, too. <laughs> like He basically is like, you guys are talking about my asshole dad. And they're like, oh, shit, uh-huh. we got caught. Just the, similar to Bobby and Cass. And he's like, no, it's OK. Like, it bothers me, too. It, it I don't know. It, it, it's very obvious that everyone is tiptoeing because everyone has, as of yet, um, only Sam seems to be the one who uh, wants to make the effort to separate Nick from Lucifer. And and even that effort comes at a great cost for him. Yes, and even he is having a very difficult time of it. Something else that I noticed from the scene was Jack making a point to say, yeah, I sucked when it mattered on the last hunt, but I'm going to stay here and improve. And I just thought that phrasing was... I was like, oh, he's kind of becoming a teenager already. <laughs> uh, what, what did you read that more as him uh, just being just being down on himself, or um, like in a very flippant way of berating himself? Something that I don't know. I would put on to like internet culture of like, yeah, I hate everything and I want to die inside, and it's just like said in such a casual fashion that it's like, yeah, that that. <laughs> That good old Gen Z nihilism. Yes. (laughs) And Mary, I liked that she made a point to tell Jack, you know, you're setting this one out, but it's not permanent. We just need to take care of this in like the most efficient way possible. And it's just that she was being straightforward to the point, but also not being casually mean about it. She was making a point that he would find some comfort in it, too. It, it wasn't it wasn't a complete shutdown, but she was also being realistic. Yeah, you're not benched for good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I need you to walk me through this next scene. This this Nick who's having Lucifer visions and Cass comes in. Because um I, I put a string of question marks next to this uh yeah, this, hey. <laughs> this scene. And I need to know why. I don't remember. It okay, it really raised questions for me about how much Nick remembers like how much came back to himself in the aftermath of Lucifer's death and Nick's apparent I don't know his revelation of self because we see him having these memory flashbacks of killings that he performed um the angels over in the apocalypse world we see back to the Elysian hotel in season five Uh, where he kills Gabriel And Nick is just really bogged down with these memories. And Cass walks in to... He has his eyes downcast. He's not looking at Nick as he moves to bring the food and unloads the table. And Nick makes a point of being... He doesn't let Cass away with it easy. He points out, you're not looking at me, but you know, I'm not him. And he is trying to understand why he said yes to Lucifer. Yeah. Yes. So he says, I just don't understand why I would have done that. I don't understand how I could have done that. I don't understand what pain 
would have brought me to this because uh, because I think it's Cass that says you were in pain and yes you were in a lot of pain and basically Lucifer exploited your vulnerability yes and then and then Nick says what possible pain could have led to this and then Cass is the one who informs uh, I don't know if that's the right word but informs uh, Nick about his family. Yeah, he breaks the news about Sarah and Teddy. And he doesn't even explicitly state that they're dead. He just said, well, your family was why. And then Nick goes through his slumdog millionaire flashback sequence of the lead up to him saying yes to Lucifer. And he gets really emotional. And he just asks, like, who could do that? Who could kill my family? It's not a man, a monster. And now I'm a monster, too. I guess I guess my only thought here was like, it, it, Nick's. We can assume Nick's been awake for at least a while, right? Like they said, the first episode has been three weeks since Dean disappeared. Yeah, let's be generous and say that Nick had been in and out of some deliria for two and a half weeks, because it did seem pretty new, right? Last episode, this whole Nick thing. Yes, that he is having enough coherency outside of nightmares to hold a conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but even then, this is, it seems like a question that he would have asked before this moment, but... Yeah, it raises the question of how much he remembers of his life before, because if you could forget something big as, you know, you were married and you had a kid, then what about his life does he remember at all? I I didn't have the thought before this moment, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write it off as uh, uh, Nick's not really himself right now, and he's just been kind of struggling so much with these with this this PTSD that that he hasn't really even come to yet in any real way. And let's say that this moment, this uh, revelation about his family, is the moment where he comes back to himself and kind of launches into action and he leaves that bedroom. Yeah, I think you're right because it's really with the memory of Sarah and Teddy surfacing that he comes to action. He has a plan, you know, he wants to find things out about what happened, what's proceeded since then. So he stops dwelling on the parts of him that are so traumatized by Lucifer and instead now has sort of this um, this life fest that he can put on and f- pursue. But um, the next thing we have Sam, Bobby, and Mary going to the... I don't know what to call these. I'm like, it's not the coroner's office. It's just like... It's just the morgue. The morgue. That's the word. Mm-hmm. And you know what? This should have answered the question of where Duluth is because she had an accent that reminded me of Fargo. And it's just like, oh, okay, Minnesota makes sense now. <laughs> yes. I, I uh, not going to lie, like her first sentence, I was like, oh, an Irish lady. That's cool. But now that <laughs> she continued talking, it was like, oh, no, that's yeah, definitely. Oh, no, you betcha. Uh, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Very um, Donna. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she points out that the cause of death for the multitude of victims that they've taken in is unknown, but there are the scars on the neck and there's internal injuries. And she leaves for a phone call and they start examining the bodies. And <laughs> um, the 
I'm like, the morgue lady? There's got to be a better <laughs> the name. coroner? Maybe? The, uh, they have a name. Hey, listeners, lovely, lovely listeners. Um, what's the name of the people who take care of the people in the morgue? Thank you. <laughs> so, um, uh, so they figure out that they're looking at vampire corpses and, and everyone is just instantly very confused. Why would Michael be messing with vampires? It's just completely out of not what anyone was expecting. And uh, Sam actually goes to the coroner and asks, hey, so he sidles up all pretty and he says, hey, so uh, has anyone come to identify the bodies yet? And she says, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you betcha. Well, there was one one little lady. Uh, I, I totally You went immediately went Irish. <laughs> <laughs> And I knew it as it happened. Anyways, um, yeah, one one woman came to, uh, I, I thought that she knew one of the victims, but no, she just left and, you know, never even got her last name. Mm-hmm. And it's from that that we find out later that they look at the security footage around and they find her license plate and they go track her down. Mm-hmm. But before that, we cut to Jack. And he's in the library reading some biblical lore. And Cass teases him, calling it, oh, so light reading. (laughs) And Jack is looking into how much longer he has to wait before his powers return, essentially. And and he says that there's uh, there's so little. Did he say there's so little on the subject that it could be anything? It's woefully scant. Yes, yes, yes. But, um... The idea was between a month and a century, but <laughs> there is the complicating factor of Jack being a Nephilim. Which would, his human component, uh, Cass calls it the human component, uh, which would slow down the process. And I'm like, when your range is a month to a century, like, what does slow down even mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to look at two centuries now. Right, right, right. Um, and... And they bond over mourning each of their losses. Yeah. And initially Jack is pulling this very selfish view of like, you couldn't understand, but Cass is reaching across to say, no, I have been in a place where I had what I felt was nothing. You know, I lost my grace. I lost my wings. I felt hopeless and useless. And no, I wasn't at my bottom because I had Sam and Dean, but more importantly, I had myself. And I love how he puts it, like the basic me without the bells and whistles. Let me let me say now that um I really, 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 really loved Cass through this entire episode. Like yes. honestly, he every scene uh, from beginning to end, I Misha killed it. He did such a good job. I I I I loved cast this whole episode. Every line was, Mwah. um, yeah. We really got the opportunity to have insight into how much he has grown since coming back from the empty. Because last season there was so much turmoil and sort of. There were time limits on everything that they were trying to do that there wasn't the opportunity to sort of stop and breathe. And then having this happen so early in season 14 was really refreshing and 
just such a shot of warmth towards Castile's character. Super, I one hundred percent agree. Super refreshing. We had we, uh, again, Jack, petulant teenager. Uh, what what do you know about it? But mm-hmm. Cass Cass did he like you said he had a he he made the effort to relate his own experiences to Jack's and um you know really really did really really showed us the viewer a piece of himself that we haven't really shown light on yet and um gave Jack something to think about and it gives this really paternal side to Cass because we knew that he had made this deal to Kelly that he would protect Jack but it was perhaps hard to imagine how that would play out, but he is really throwing himself into sort of healing his own wounds and making sure that whatever his limitations may have been, he is trying to overcome them for the sake of Jack and making sure that Jack is that Jack has his best footing available for moving forward. Yes, it was very good. I approve. Yeah. Which I, which which I mean, um salt round pause um to be honest i would i would (laughs) i would not have expected such a thing from uh, some writers who shall not be named but i it was good it was good i this episode was was pretty much a hit for me Mm -hmm. honestly i I quite enjoyed yes i like that i like that fire it off okay fire it off (laughs) yeah it's good But yeah, Cass has to go through this healing process of, you know, he's had periods in his past where he's doubted his self-worth and had, I guess, a very negative perspective for his usefulness around. And so even though Jack might think like, oh, you aren't in the same position as me. No, Cass is probably the one who can most relate to where he is right now. And he is using this chance to emphasize that you can... You, you won't be at the same skill level as your surrounding people because they've had decades to practice. And part of the skills that you can gain are patience and persistence. And, you know, it's important to know where you came from, but your future is ultimately more important. So we are meant to interpret Jack hearing this as, oh, I want to go dig into my past. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, my my salt round would be, is like, no one actually hears what Cass is saying to him because Jack goes, oh, okay, I'm going to go visit my grandparents. (laughs) And like, Nick goes, oh, so what you mean is like, you're a body snatcher. I'm just like, okay, you guys just stop being overdramatic. Yeah, what is it? Yes. Oh, what was it that... Oh, no, never mind. This comes later. Um, yeah. Ignore me. Yes. Yeah, no worries. We cut to Michael getting pretty. Yeah, he's in a tux and a bow tie. There is the mirror and Dean yelling to get out. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the first time we've seen Dean um, in too long. It's been one episode, but it's been too long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You uh-huh. can really feel that he is stifled in his current situation. And the amount of effort that he portrayed in that mirror scene. And then Michael shuts him down immediately. Like, listen, punches the glass and I I own you. So hang on and enjoy the ride. Now I'm, I'm like, I'm like... Uh- uh, Shirley Temple, I got my my chin in my hands. Um, <laughs> so, did you read that punch to the mirror 
as, I don't know, was it Michael? Was it Dean? Was it both? Was it like a release of Dean's own aggression? Was it something that Michael did to try to shock uh, Dean out of his fight? Or was it because I would love to read that action that because it is like, from what we've seen from Michael so far, he's so contained and controlled and smug. Um, but that one like jerk of it was it was kind of jarring. And you know what? I think that that's what it was meant to be. We see that it took so much effort for Dean to come out and speak. And then here is Michael with this really quick, sharp action and completely shuts him down. And I think the violent imagery of it is intended because it is such a clean cut from Dean rising to the surface and being able to speak and that Dean is gone and the mirror is all fractured, but all facets contain Michael. And it, it was more like on what Michael's feeling in this moment. Um, Can we read this as him frustrated in a way that we haven't seen him before with Dean's constant struggles? Do we see him as frustrated and maybe this isn't the first time that he's experienced it? Because he didn't seem surprised. He didn't seem concerned. He just seemed like, I have to shut you down again. Yeah, yeah. And so so going further in this episode, not getting into future episodes, but going further in this episode, um, you know, you uh, from multiple times in the next 30 minutes, I asked the question, what is Michael, what, what are Michael's motivations here? And maybe we can look back on this moment as, you know, more telling than Michael might have intended. Yeah, let's let's look through the scenes that are upcoming in this episode and then see what we can tie back to this moment. Mm -hmm. So um, after we cut to Cass and Sam on the phone and Cass can't make sense of what's happening there either. He doesn't see how the... He doesn't see how vampires would ever cross path with archangels because they're so insignificant. Compared yeah, and he says it makes no sense that Michael would bother. Um, it, and, and I think that this even harkens way back to what we know about archangels, that like archangels are absolute and they would never, even angels, an angel would never lower himself to such petty concerns hunting and killing vampires just makes no sense yeah to have the angels messing with vampires it's kind of like okay i'm trying to make a comparison but it's like i don't know you're using a bulldozer to go kill some ants <laughs> bulldozer for an ant hill yeah yeah nick enters the library and he is just irate that there's no news on this family's cold case and he regrets that he wasn't there to fight to make sure that people were keeping up on it. Mm -hmm. Cass tries to comfort him and Nick immediately snaps a finger at him on instinct. Oh, and Cass looks super wigged out. Oh, 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 yes, 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 yes. Uh, I loved it. I think, okay, this is this scene was probably my favorite scene in the entire episode. 
Um, yes, I really liked it too. I think both Mark P and 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 Misha did an amazing job. It was so good. It was well directed. Um, so we have we Nick or Mark P really does draw us into his um fluster or his I I don't know what to call it. It's you're when you're watching Nick, you can see sort of the tidal waves that are crashing onto him and you feel yourself getting knocked over by them too. Yeah. And, and uh, Cass really does just want to offer comfort. You know, we even see Cass kind of seeing past his, all I see is Lucifer and responding to this very human uh, Nick. Yeah, because no matter who, Cass tends to be someone who is very sympathetic, if not empathetic. And so to have someone in your sphere that is going through pain, he is going to be attentive to that. And Cass reaches out a hand in comfort and he's instantly bitten. Yes, and he flinches back so hard. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Because uh, yeah, they're both haunted by the specter of Lucifer. And I don't know about you, but what was your initial impression on seeing that scene? Like, what did that imply to you about the nature of Lucifer and its relationship with Nick? I, like, honestly, I almost had the six months removed from watching this episode for the first time. I, I pretty much had the same exact reaction that, that I had the first time, which was just like instant white noise fucking like my mind just fuzzed out in that moment. I was like, (gasps) and it was just total freeze frame for me. It really catches you by surprise. Yeah. And then Cass really asks the important the important question which was what what were you even thinking in that moment what mm-hmm. was your intent there because it, it, it was it instinct or was it was yeah, it something was it, was it a reflex that you learned through all that time of nick being possessed or did you just intend to kill me yeah and 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 that was something that kind of went unsaid in a great way. Like it was, yes. it was so good. Um, oh, I didn't even think on that. I was so caught on. I was so caught on the way that his whole mannerism changed after he did the finger snap. Like Nick came in and he was overwrought and he is being dramatic, and then in this moment, it just completely washes out. It's gone. It, it is was Lucifer. never there. Yeah. And it made me wonder, I'm like, how much of this is just him having like over dramatic bitch disease right now? Because (laughs) everything that he was doing was just to this heightened emotional level. And there wasn't, I don't know, I guess I would be very critical on the way that he was responding. And I can't really say for sure how you would react. But there was this degree of the tears and everything fell away and he was immediately shut down and like had to almost reboot and oh oh right I was sad yeah I think that it was just kind of like in the moment he he completely transformed he fell into this lucifer um instinct this lucifer uh, a persona and I again 
not getting into what's going to go down later in the season, but let's maybe keep in mind that when he does take on that Lucifer mindset, he can, he, he kind of loses that uh, lack of focus. Yeah, he, when he takes on the Lucifer mindset, he has removed himself from the pain and turmoil that he's feeling. And it just becomes this really clean, action-oriented role. Because, I mean, he did the finger snap here. Cass checked on him and said that, you know, there might be more damage to Nick's psyche than they realized, thanks to Lucifer. And Nick just bails to find who killed his family. And he doesn't answer when Cass asks. And then what? He also doesn't answer when Cass asks him, what were you thinking in that moment? Mm -hmm. Uh, It was, it was, you know, he said, I don't know, but it, it, he didn't not know. It was just a deflection. That's how I read it. Yeah. It was a really, it was a really great moment narratively. Yeah. It left you with a lot of questions. I know. It was good. And we cut, (laughs) well, okay, so this scene left us with a lot of questions. And the next scene, my only note on it is, uh, there's a lot of assumptions going on here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like how um, Sam was like, hey, FBI, and then immediately kicks down the door. Well, we, okay, so the next scene is where we cut to the woman vampire that we saw tied up her we don't know her name yet but i'll give it to you her name's lydia (laughs) (laughs) so we see lydia who is the uh the the vampire that we saw at the first scene uh and and uh, she's at her apartment and she there's a knock on the door and sam says fbi open up and (laughs) spaghetti kicks spaghetti kicks the door the door down and uh and then and then uh, were was every was everyone out of their FBI FBI gear uh suits or was yeah, it just Bobby? They were dressed as hunters uh-huh. ready to go. And she calls them as much when she sees them. Well, when when uh, again Bobby launches into a bit too much exposition on the how we tracked you down like Oh, we, we hacked into the cameras on the outside of the morgue and then we got your tracked license. the plates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we tracked your plates and, you know, you really should have ditched the car before you turned. And I'm like, again, like, we're making a lot of assumptions about, like, one woman who came to the morgue to, like, try to identify the bodies. <laughs> well, it's like there is a lot that the narrative is trying to get across in this really condensed period. And yeah, like, I guess the idea is if, you know, she's come to check out the bodies and all the bodies are vampires, then I don't know. She's not like the one plucky human in this whole crowd. It's just kind of like, I think they drew attention to the fact that they were working off of a very, like, flimsy uh, assumption about this about this woman who came to check on the bodies in the morgue. Like, if if Sam had just kicked down the door, pulled a gun and said don't as she was trying to, like, get out the window, then we didn't need all of the we know you're a vampire. Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I'm just just picking. I'm picking at scabs. Uh, So. Yeah, I think on first watch I was a little bit perplexed at how quickly they were going to kill her. I mean, she spilled her guts right away. She said that mm-hmm. her nest was 
like they're all pacifists and then they got taken and she was the only one who escaped. Yep. And now we're finally breaking the news to Sam, Bobby, and Mary that it's not that Michael was killing vampires, it's that they were dying. So a, a subtle difference that his experimentations were causing death. Yes, yes. So Bobby goes to kill her. I'm like, again, Swell, I don't know, again, it just felt like there was so much quick action that was happening here. And like you're saying, assumptions that, okay, yep, you're a vampire. Now we're going to cut your head off. Goodbye. And she, again, she spilled everything up to this point. And then they're like, okay, we're going to kill you. And she's like, no, 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 wait, I have one more sentence and it's going to save my life. (laughs) Right, right, right. She's like, I don't know anything, but, but I do know where he was. And I don't know why I didn't say this 10 seconds ago, but here you go. Don't kill me, bye. Don't kill me, bye. And uh, we see pretty Michael and pretty woman enter that yes. hotel room from before. Yes. And he has, is it a bottle of wine or champagne? Or do I just not know the difference? Um, It, but... was, it was definitely wine, okay? Be like... Okay. It didn't have the fizzies, so no I wrote bubbly. down wine. <laughs> Michael doesn't even know what city he's in. And that made me think back to Bobby at the beginning, where he's like, Duluth in October? Like, what's he doing? And it's like, (laughs) oh, it's genuinely, again, it's so minor in comparison to the scale of power that Michael's operating off of. He doesn't even know where he is. He doesn't care. He just has work to do. Mm -hmm. And there is this playful back and forth between him and the woman, Melanie, and she goes to make a move, but he essentially goes, oh, you think you picked me? I picked you. Goes to make and a move. He tries to kill. She tries to kill him. If, yeah, but. What kind of sex do- are you having, B? Please don't ask me that kind of question. It's a very sad result. <laughs> no, she she touches his shoulders. She goes to touch his back. So they're doing this little um dance back and forth with each other and then he just straight up lifts her and throws her and tells her to summon her master and and and, you know that i thought that was a pretty weird word choice um i momentarily did for i I didn't actually know it okay so the the word choice of master had me racking my brains like do we know the alpha who is the werewolf alpha did we kill the alpha like what's yeah, the master I went to alpha first thing too yeah because because so, like we've like it's been on the peripheral that we've talked about packs before but to say like we, we i don't think that we have established werewolves packs in the same way that we have uh a vampire nest and um I just think that the word choice of master had a lot more weight than I was comfortable with for, like, current canon. But I yeah. digress. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so the next we go to Nick on the phone with a detective. He has called Pike Creek, Delaware, and he is trying to get further information about what had happened with his family's case. And... He, we get Cass observing this and then he and Nick get off on the wrong foot, seemingly because of Cass's word choices when he is talking about what's going on. 
because and, and we see a bit of that same like Nick aggression or or, or not aggression, but more just like over dramatic bitch disease. <laughs> Yes, like picking, he really does seem to be picking a fight, like just like in the very first scene with Cass and Nick, where he was, where Cass was just bringing him a sandwich, but Nick says, you know I'm not him, you can look at me, like, do I remind you of him? Uh, He has these very childish reactions to things where he is only seeing things from his perspective, and if other people are unable to meet him on his ground, then it is their failing, and not only that, but they are antagonistic for it. And this scene right here is where I am slayed by the Jimmy feels because uh, Holy shit, Nick, yes. Nick says, so um, this, this James Novak, is he uh, okay with that? With what you've done to him? And we get a very, very like genuine and... I, I do appreciate that here Castiel is not matching Nick for his aggression. Yeah, he says with confidence, yes, he was. But then Nick pulls on that was and keeps on digging. Mm-hmm. And, and hits right where it hurts, not just for the viewer, but for Cass himself. Um, he, Nick ultimately says you're no you're nothing but a bat- body snatcher you are no better than lucifer and you just see in cass's eyes that it's an it's an old hurt and it still hurts yeah the i wondered if it was this mixture of anger of guilt like what he was experiencing fully in that moment because he restrains himself from responding to nick's call against him like saying you're no better than lucifer because i wonder how much Cass has thought of that in the past like how much he's feared it because i mean to just take a step and look at his overarching path through like from being an angel subservient to heaven to disobeying to falling essentially like he's done these things that lucifer did and we had an episode even in season five where lucifer's like you know you're like me and so i wondered how much of that call went to those elements that he might fear and also to you know, Cass has said yes to Lucifer as well. And well, look at the things that came from that. Right. And um, it was, well, that's how we started this conversation, right? Where uh, Nick actually brings it up first. He says, why? Because your body was taken from you. When when Cass says, I can relate. And yeah, Nick, your body was stolen. Right. Nick's phrasing. Right. And, and he's talking about when Lucifer possessed uh Cass and and Nick is obviously aware uh of that but uh, like you said Cassiel says with confidence no no it's my it's it's how I feel about my situation and that this is a vessel my body and maybe even how I have been seeing myself and kind of identifying myself on the past few years because you know I could uh, I I could go on and on about, about about true form versus his his physical form but maybe but maybe like I said his his 
identity is being shaped by this physical form that he has taken on and has held for the past many, many, many years of the past decade. And, and it's not, it's, it's, it's Jimmy Fields, Jimmy Fields abound. Yeah, it's not just a vessel to him. It is a life that he has become entwined with. And yeah, he makes a point, even though he has left to keep himself from saying something, perhaps in anger or in retaliation to Nick's accusations, he still stops, turns around and says, like, in all my thousands of years, what happened to Jimmy Novak and his family is my greatest regret. And then he leaves. And he, uh, okay. Okay. reset reset Remy okay so (laughs) what yeah anytime that Jimmy comes up it's like just a hard reminder like you hear Cass saying and it's also nice to have callbacks to the history that these characters have gone through and knowledge that you know they weren't just in passing they have consequences that the characters carry with them it's so it's it's so nice to have those callbacks and it and it it is such a huge insight on our characters yes yes and yes um and for cast to say this is my biggest regret if we can take that as true then what is that's that's what does it mean it's such a it's such a personal thing uh, especially when weighed against the scale of all the things like the angels falling uh, the, the betrayal of the souls of purgatory and god's cl and uh, the civil war in heaven and literally everything losing his heaven home by rebelling uh not that he would regret rebelling i mean come on let's be real but <laughs> But no, every it's saying such a yes human to thing. is such a yeah. human thing, and saying yes to Lucifer, I could go on and on and on and on because we have fifteen years to work with, and I love it, love it, love it. Okay, yeah, I'm done. I I just really enjoyed that we got to see that you know these innocent bystanders, basically that you know maybe when Cass was looking for a vessel, he just picked this one and yet as time has passed he sees like the consequences of those decisions and the ramifications to these people that he has gotten to know and that he has gotten to love and deeply care about and know that his actions have caused pain as well exactly to see our characters carry the weight of these individuals that they save or fail with them. And we've had many callbacks before that, that, that do illustrate that it's so, it's so good. It always, it always, always hits where it hurts. Yes. It's really great to see that, especially so early in a season, like it, it sets up good expectations for things that will come later on. So we cut over next to Michael bringing Cognac out to the leader of this pack that Melanie belonged to and doing a quick taste test to confirm that there's no silver in it. And <laughs> the pack leader, I, I was like, is it Philippe? Philippe? Philippe. I didn't know how fancy he was. Yeah. Okay. Philippe. Philippe is wondering, you know, what Michael would have to do with them. And we get insight into the vision that 
Michael has and how it aligns with what this werewolf leader can see, where a world where the humans are enslaved or there's just enough of them to go around, but otherwise the humans are no longer top dog. As Michael is like so pleased of that pun too, like he's just so <laughs> full of himself. I kind of love it. Uh huh. And I, yes, I was going to say if you want to talk about Michael, this is the scene to talk about Michael. This was yes. such a great scene. Um, again, like coming off of Nick and Cass at the bunker, and then going into this, this is such a great scene. And we have we have uh, so Michael lays out. Or I think Philippe is the one who who kind of flippantly says like, oh, so we take over the world and keep only enough humans around as slave labor and food. Oh, what a wonderful world, if only. And Michael says, well, why couldn't it be like that? And who Michael, says? Yeah, who says? And Michael informs Philippe that between you and me, the big guy upstairs says, gone fishing. Yeah. Permanent vacation. Mm -hmm. And I like that Michael made a point of saying, like, demons and angels aren't a factor in this world anymore. So Michael's the one who's in charge. Yeah, demons and angels don't seem to be much of a factor here. So it's just me. And I am top dog. Yeah, and I have decided that your wants are pure. You know, you're true to the vision of your life. And so, therefore, I deem you worthy of being the successor for this world. Yeah, yeah. And I just, it, it's, again, kind of questioning Michael's motives a little bit. Does, what does he want from the, this is a question that runs through not only the past two episodes, but later too. What does he want from all of this? Is he just kicking up the sand in this sandbox or is he, Yeah. It, does he want something from it? Um, does he want that pet superior race? Does he? Yeah, is his vision just to do this sort of long game chaos where, okay, now the monsters are top dog, but it's not going to last forever. They're going to devolve into chaos and like ultimately it's destroyed. Or is there a different vision that he has? Because it's hard to imagine him having any sort of benign outcome here for the monsters, quote unquote. It's interesting. It's just interesting. I don't know what to think about it yet. Yeah, it's one of those things where if it it has to walk this line of being obscure enough that it incites intrigue, but not too obscure that you are frustrated. And so far, I just completely sit on intrigue. So we follow up this scene with Jack going to see the Kleins. And we find out that he was named after her father, the Kelly's father. My hand and to my heart, like, oh. oh. This whole scene was so sweet and so endearing, and I was really glad to see it. Me too. Me too. It was really good. It really was. I enjoyed the whole thing. Uh, we see Jack being just Jack and adorable and, like you said, endearing and all, uh, trying so hard to to hold himself in because because this is very emotional for him but he doesn't want to he he really just doesn't want to scare away these these people that yeah. he that he wants to connect with 
Yeah, he wants this connection, but he can't reveal too much. And so he has to walk this line of implying things a degree removed from him. So rather than Kelly as the one talking to him, oh, Kelly was talking to her baby boy. And like, just... The grandparents were so good. They were... Perfectly cast. I'm like, A+. plus. Yes, yes. Um... Yeah, the I did I did you know have a little have a little like giggle over the fact that Grandma Klein uh, was like you know what you kind of look like her like that's not a normal thing to say to a normal person. Sorry. Yeah, she's like it's a little nutty. Whoops, but I'm gonna say it. <laughs> uh huh. I was like that that's not that's not normal conversation. Um, but yeah, and okay, Jack saying like. She's an amazing mother. Kelly, like, took time to sing and talk to him before he was even born, made him feel safe and wanted. And Kelly asserted that Jack sets his own fate. I know. And, I mean, we have seen before uh, Jack kind of drawing guidance and strength from the memory of his mother, uh, but it never gets old, <laughs> really. Yeah, I I do really enjoy that the writers keep her presence, even if she's not there in living form, that her weight doesn't disappear, that Jack still carries with her. And like credits to Alex for carrying the character of Jack with this, because you can feel such a warmth whenever he's talking about Kelly. And this whole scene was so warm. Yeah, and he almost gets choked up saying, like, he hopes someday to have her courage and purpose. He, I mean, the point of this whole um, field trip was to gain perspective and guidance and direction. And I think that, I think that he found it a little bit. Yeah, there's this bittersweet parting between them, but it really affirmed to him the strength of the connection he had with his mother and that it gave him sort of this boost to his morale. I mean, I got emotional uh, on that parting, you know, when, when Jack was saying goodbye to his grandparents because, oh man, Grandpa Jack knew what's up. He's He knows what's up, man. It was it was hard to watch because you could just like see in in Kelly's father that he was actually fighting back that emotional response to the realization that Jack was talking about Kelly in the past tense. Yes. Yeah, there was this undertone that it started to build the longer the conversation went and because I was I rewatched the scene a couple times trying to pinpoint when the mood turns bittersweet but it really is just building to this crescendo of when Jack is talking about her and we get the sense that the grandparents know that there's more to the story that's not being told but they don't have maybe the courage or the strength to question it just now. It was a really great scene. It was so good. Ah, so good. So after this, we go back to the vampire girl, uh, Lydia. She's packing rapidly when Michael shows up at her kitchen table. And he is showing 
this gleeful side almost that he's pointing out the game in letting her escape. He earlier. is monologuing. He is super villain monologuing. He's so pleased with himself. It's so it's so funny. He is like he is uh, the super villain trope. Uh, just just total cliche. It's fun. It's fun and funny. At the same time, you're like, what a dick. <laughs> but what a dick. Can't have a trap without bait. Yeah. He so he reveals a lot without revealing much here. Where Yeah, it's giving us anticipation for there to be this switcheroo thing going on. Probably pretty soon, knowing that Sam, Bobby, and Mary now know where to look for him. Right. So he he says that this is a trap. Uh, And so now going into when we later see Sam, Mary and Bobby in the church, it's like we are we're we're waiting for that trap to spring. Yes. And he kills her without even looking at her. Like he just does his eye glow and then she electro boops out. Mm hmm. Okay. Electro boob is the new way. Is the new way to say electro it. boob. There's no, no such thing as an electro boob. You never boop. <laughs> I will cause a horrible breeze on this boop. Uh, but before the church, we have Jack and Cass at the bunker, back in the yes. bunker, and instantly we 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 dive into again this worried father, this parental Cass. Who's who's yes. berating his his kid for going out to the club when he was explicitly yeah, told just not to? Scolding Mr. him like, yeah. and Jack is just like, "Full, you're not my dad. Like, <laughs> it was fine, and I'm not defenseless." And Cass is correcting him like, "No, like the possibility of capture is real. Uh-huh. I'm not making shit up. You're on the radars of a lot of people right now." It was. I I really liked the directing in this scene the cut into them like storming the halls again like total dad teenager dynamic yes. and and uh but it gets it it gets pretty serious pretty quick and poor Cass just keeps Cass gets his licks this this episode doesn't he yeah, he really took a hit in this one here because Jack makes a point of saying that he wanted to meet his real family. And you can see how sharply that seems to hit Cass. Like, he has to physically, like, restrain himself from saying something retaliation. And so he, he takes a moment to calm and then takes the kernel of what Jack was saying, which is essentially that he wanted to know more about his mom and his mom's family. And again, Cass does not react. He does not respond. He doesn't meet anger with anger. Um, Well, like, okay, you've made your decision. And now I'm just going to make sure that you were safe during it. He asked that Jack didn't let slip his identity. And Jack was like, no, like, I know better. (laughs) He's he's not nearly that childish. But at the same time, you can see this selfish aspect that is kind of being mirrored between himself and with Nick, where they're both characters that are really looking at their situation and their struggles. And they're like, well, of course I wouldn't screw up. Like, don't you know me better? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And... Cass is allowing Jack to steer the conversation towards more information about what was going on with Kelly's family. And Jack is pleased that they saw a resemblance and that he 
couldn't tell them that she died because they loved her so much. And Cass is pleased saying, you know, you did it from a place of kindness and there's worse ways to be human than to be kind. That was, yeah, exactly. He's, he's trying to come at it with a show of understanding, no matter how he felt about the decision in and of itself. Yeah, there's no changing the past, but he can at least make sure that he and Jack are still okay. Mm -hmm. So then Jack asks about Michael and when they find him, basically, will they kill him? And Cass says, no, the plan is to just get Dean out of him. Instantly, instantly, I am in Cass's shoes. I am put on my back foot when when Jack says that. So like, what if that doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We're, so we're gonna... Good, they're closing in on Michael. They can finally kill him, right? And... Cass just has his face, like, uh, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Like, that's not the first instinct that we're following here. We want to get him out of Dean, and if that doesn't work, then we're gonna find a way to drive him out. And Jack just keeps pushing for, well, what if that doesn't work? Like... Dean doesn't matter. If it comes down to him or Michael, Michael has to be stopped. Ah! And I wondered how much of this resolve that he was having in this moment came from that shoring up that he had after speaking to his family, like Kelly's family, because he says, like, I wish that I could someday have her courage, her purpose. And I, I thought that there was this really interesting juxtaposition between what he's saying now about Dean and what he was saying about the grandparents like he couldn't tell them she died because they loved her so much and yet here he is amongst people who love Dean so much and being like well I'm gonna give you a cold hard truth that is a good point he has shored himself up to this resolve um I my question was how much of this stems from uh, Michael as a what what how much of this stems from what Jack knows of Michael as a villain from the apocalypse world yes. his time in the apocalypse world and how much of it stems from just Jack not having that relationship with Dean where he feels as strongly about it as uh as as everyone else in the room or in yeah, this situation that- Yes, I I totally agree that there is this balance between those two elements, like the threat of Michael versus the love for Dean. And of all of them, Jack is the one who has spent the most time over in sort of Michael's territory. He has been on that turf and been doing the counterfight. And so he knows how difficult that's been. And he knows the scale of damage that was wrought by him and to know that this world is threatened someone has to be able to step up and say no that's not going to happen I've drawn a hard line here and Michael cannot cross it and and I'm not even saying that it's the wrong it's the wrong resolve right it's 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 just really hard it's such a cold thought is it though I mean I think that it kind of comes back to there's 
anything for the Winchesters, you know? It's, the family is notoriously bad about fucking over the world. Or they have a history of fucking over the world at the cost of, you know, to or to save one man. So this might be calling that out a little bit from someone. Giving it like a different light. Yeah. We're seeing it from someone that maybe isn't inner circle yet, but is still having a look at it. Well, what if it is someone in the inner circle what if i could like equate this to mary turning around and saying well maybe we should consider that dean wouldn't want us to save him at the cost of sparing michael and uh, jack really does bring it right back to that which is would dean want it any different and you just see Cass physically flinch away from that because he knows. Jack does a lot of things the way that Dean would do, whether it is instinctively or not. There's a, there is a lot of, of, of Dean and Jack and it, that has been, it has been that way since from the beginning. Jack never would emulate Sam or, or Cass or, uh, call on uh, the uh, call on their um is influence the right word I, i'm looking yeah to the same way that it's it's almost like the same way that he looks to kelly as his mother you see him looking to dean more so than anybody else well, I don't even know if you would say he's looking at Dean, but that his instincts align with Dean's instincts and that there is a kinship there that it doesn't necessarily have to be trained or learned. It is just he seems to have that connection and that imitation that he wants to pursue. Or they're just fundamentally more alike than any of the other any anyone else in the family yeah i think yeah i was trying to get along that but you said it much better (laughs) yeah no we do see that we do and i think that is where the i think that's why this scene here with jack and Cass is so compelling because he jack jack is completely making sense and that's why it it kind of i mean (laughs) again i feel the same way Cass is feeling in this moment like oh fuck Yeah, and you can just envision if Cass... Because Cass basically had this conversation with Dean at the end of season 13. Like, no, you can't do that. And Dean being like, I don't have any other choice. And here, Jack is going, like, what do you you do if, you know, all of these other options that you want to work through, if they don't work, you know, what do you do when you don't have any other choice? Are you going to be able to do it? Because Dean would want you to do it. And now Cass is like, I don't want to play anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then we move on to creepy Nick and creepy, creepy neighbor Artie. Nick Nick visiting good old Artie. (laughs) Are they drinking tea out of like a proper tea set? Like, yeah, creeper, creepy, creeper. You have a lot of judgment coming on for like this tea set here, Remy. I I made a lot of assumptions about this Artie character. Uh, <laughs> the round glasses in the in the tea set. Ooh, no. 
oh man, later in this scene, those glasses I have thoughts on. <laughs> Not thoughts, but like, did you notice when Nick was holding up him up against the wall that the glasses leg wasn't hooked over his ear? I did. I was just watching that and I was like, oh my God. Just distracted, like waiting for the yeah. glasses to fall off. <laughs> yeah, that, that cover shot was just like, that's where that caught my eye. But, <laughs> Yeah, so Artie is sitting there and he's being very sympathetic, but Nick is upset and he wants to be upset. And then he's upset that Artie's not upset. <laughs> and there's just this whole vicious cycle that's going on. Uh, yeah, and and uh, it becomes very obvious very fast that Nick came in wanting a very particular, a very specific response to... yes to his questions and he would just it was just a upward spiral of anger and tension when Artie was not responding in the way that he wanted him to it was it was approaching lucifer-esque well would you say Artie wasn't responding the way that he wanted or because the way i took it was that nick was forcing him to be caught in a corner of his lies you know, we heard earlier in the episode that there was this witness, but then their story changed. And now here Nick is with Artie and he's like, yeah, so he just keeps on pushing on the fact that Artie changed his story and how much effect that has had on Nick's emotional state and basically making Artie to blame for misremembering like Artie is trying to say like I, I couldn't remember I couldn't remember I couldn't remember I just remembered wrong and Nick is just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay anyways you deserve to be punished for this exactly exactly he went in with a conviction that Artie did see something and is lying about it and I I just think that it's basically a happy accident that he was right yeah, and you talk about getting aggressive. Well, Artie hasn't seen him for 10 years, 10 plus years, and now Nick is back and he's like, oh, I didn't see you for so long. How have you been doing? But Nick is reacting with very visceral, fresh anger that I don't think would really make sense to Artie as this outside. Yes. Viewer. Oh my god, yes, this is very fresh. Because he's sitting there and he is trying to be sympathetic and you know, oh, like it was so hard for what went on. And Nick is like, no, I'm still going through this processing. There's this disconnect between expectations. We, yes, yes, we do. We are invited to forget that it has been a decade since this happened, like, like Nick goes on and on about cold cases and whatnot. But um, yes, he is reacting as if it is a very fresh wound because it is a fresh wound. But to the rest of the world, it's been it, it is a cold case. Yeah, we're sitting here with Nick's perspective and Nick just found out about this. And we forget that it's been so long since it actually took place. Ah, ah, ah. I love talking with you. You're so good. <laughs> You're the best. Did you did you notice at the start of the scene that the camera was looking at the project in the background and the hammer was sitting right there? No, I did not. I did not yeah. see a a hammer 
uh, in the yeah. house. So like that that's our Chekhov's hammer sitting right there. It's like, oh no, this ain't gonna go good. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> and the lighting is so warm and it's so cozy and it's just such a juxtaposition to what we see in another scene from now. Oh, uh, another scene from now? Oh, ominous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we go from Artie being pinned up against the wall by Nick to back to the derelict church that we saw at the beginning of the episode. And Bobby is asking Sam and Mary if they think Lydia was lying about this place. But Mary points out the fresh blood on the floor and like, no, this is where Michael was. Now what? Yeah, it's almost like, why would anyone be here? There's nothing here. Uh, And then, uh, but then they're ambushed. Yeah, surprise wolf attack through the windows. (laughs) That was some nice, I I took a nice stained glass too. It was like, I don't know. I'm like, my aesthetic vibe must be really off because I'm like, that was a nice place. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I would like sit there and hang out, but like, it'd be cool to visit all of as just ruins one day. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, like, I'm I'm showing my priorities again while I'm watching this because I was like, oh, Mary has, like, a French tuck on her front shirt. Like, has she been watching Queer Eye and, like, pick that one fashion thing up? B, oh, my God. You're such a fucking nerd. I'm so sorry, but, like, this is... Again, I just sit here and like, <laughs> first one. I'm like, oh, a nice French tuck. But, you know... And then, and you know... Gunfight. If we wanted to... <laughs> and then, gunfight. But, you... <laughs> You know, if we want to talk about aesthetics, um, I do think that it's interesting. It might just be a, like, directing choice, but it might also be a Michael choice that we put Michael in this this broken down church that aesthetically is very similar to the things that we had been seeing in the apocalypse world. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm sitting here. I'm like nodding, like Jack Nicholson. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. It it really is. It's like we have been thrown straight back to the apocalypse world. Uh, he loves going to churches. Like he loves he to go to places of worship where humans go to connect with the divine, and he loves just fucking shit up in them. It's a fun. Like we might just be trying to. Uh, associate this kind of apocalypse here's my high school essay but apocalypse feel to michael as a character but i maybe michael just this is the kind of thing that he likes in in his habitat he i i do think that there's something to that because going to broken down places of worship for a character such as michael there there's meaning behind that I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. A plus. (laughs) And then gunfight. Yes. Gunfight. They have silver bullets, but they aren't working. So they get out machetes to capitate some of these werewolves. And Mary hatchets one to death. Did you see that? Like she fucking axed him. (laughs) And then does a Jason Momoa toss into the one that is fighting Bobby. (laughs) And then Bobby grabs it and fucking hatches the next one to death. I was like, holy, there's a lot of brutality going on right now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so we're, oh my God, I totally forgot to make fun of the new werewolf prosthetic teeth. 
The new- oh, like Melanie's prosthetic. Uh huh. And and the that other seemed werewolves like over the top. Yeah. The other the other uh, werewolves also had the same teeth, and I was just like, really, guys, really, really, is this what we're gonna do? It, it's 2018, and this is what we're gonna do. Hmm. I'm like, their dentistry would be so difficult. Like, I don't know. I just sit there. I'm like, those poor souls. How are you even eating things? Oh, I. I <laughs> it didn't. It, the, the thing, sometimes things that are less expensive <laughs> are better. <laughs> oh, freckle. Oh, so much insight. Oh, my God. I, I just, uh, we made it worse. We took the old, we took the old and we made it worse. And I just don't know why. But, and then, and then later on, we do the same thing with the vampires. Like, okay, cool. They're juiced up. We Whatever. We juiced up. But but no 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 I I reject that theory because as you said Melanie had the exact same teeth that these quote unquote juiced up vampires I mean uh, werewolves did so okay that was a question that I had too was just um, was Michael crossing streams here was he trying to take the weaknesses of one versus the weaknesses of another because. My reading of this was not that he was amplifying the natural abilities. It was that he was reducing the, like, the I weaknesses. guess he was crossing streams. I mean, well, no, I, we did, we don't really explore it much, but uh, I, I, I did like Bobby's little, well, that works uh, on the decapitation <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, like, you can't reduce, you can't, uh, uh, get an immunity to decapitation and burning, you know? You'd hope not. That's when you know <laughs> you're in the end game. But we we might would be able to assume that a uh, vampire who gets this upgrade, it might be resistant to dead man's blood. Stuff like that, you know? Maybe they're faster. Maybe they're stronger. Um, it, it, they're, they are Jefferson Starships 2.0. <laughs> We'll pretend that but you've seen that season. I have seen that uh, season. Oh, 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 oh. Big that Shot Big Eve. Shot B. That was season six. Yeah, all of a sudden I know shit. <laughs> Big Shot B knows what a Jefferson Starships is. Okay. Saspy and do know that. <laughs> yeah, they check. F- okay, nobody's bitten. Okay, cool. What the fuck? And go over the fact that silver is this immunity that's all of a sudden cropped up in werewolves, but they don't have much time to discuss before the doors to this church room burst open. And there is Michael with the head bowed and walks in with an arm outstretched and then collapses against a post, breathing hard. And he removes his cap and even though his hair still has that crisp, crisp, part (laughs) it's dean going sammy it's me was that a hint of admiration i heard for that i dig that hair i don't know what it is like (laughs) i cannot wait until jensen retires because i want to see what he does with all of that i'm i'm so scared (laughs) anytime hiatus hits and i see what these boys have decided that they should look like and i'm like my god i'm very happy that you have routine appointment with like hair trimmers sorry sorry i didn't want 
want to hurt your ears there, dear, dear listeners. But <laughs> B just uh, <laughs> shot me right in the gut with that one. I I don't, I have nothing against face scruff because clearly Griefbeard enjoyed that. And I do enjoy hiatus beards, but it is very much like <laughs> I am so scared we're going to see like Thor depressive state. <laughs> level of haircuts coming out in the future <laughs> if there's no one to stop them. I don't know. I won't I won't cast judgment. Have mercy. But I my, I watch with curiosity. My my stomach hurts. <laughs> this is punishment. Every time you cast shade at me, I'm like, okay, I'll just find some way to wound you with laughter. <laughs> I'm well I'm excited, so nah. I I didn't say I was not excited. I just you said had, you, you uh, I feel like a healthy degree of you literally said dread. I'm so afraid. So <laughs> that doesn't mean I can't be excited. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. So it is Dean. It is Dean in the it's doorway. Dean. It is not. It is not Michael. And Sam immediately goes to Dean and says, "Is it? Is it really you?" And they sit him down and like, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. Like, he's very adamant. Like that is a dumb question. <laughs> I like that too. Very Dean. Yeah. Good. Good yes. Dean reintroduction. Yeah. And they are trying to ask like, okay, what what's going on? And he, how did you get him to leave? How did you get Michael gone? And Dean says that he didn't get Michael to leave. He just left. And Dean doesn't know why. And they do like looks trademark trademark at each other mary's <laughs> looking at bobby bobby's looking at sam like there are looks happening here and the viewer is thinking about this uh, still thinking about this trap that michael says yes. that he has laid yes we have some dramatic irony that i'm gonna say that <laughs> dramatic irony um, going on between what the viewer knows versus what the characters know. And we know that there is some sort of plan here, but good God, what could it be? Exactly. I was, yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, but good golly gosh, my mind is spiraling. What is up? What is up? Again, we're just kicking up questions like, what does Michael want? How does this fit into this? Like, how is giving like, quote unquote, giving Dean back to his brother, to his mother, to the side that's fighting against him, beneficial to Michael. Because you would think, you know, losing your perfect vessel would be a bad scene. And on the, I mean, this is only the second episode to see yeah. Michael leave so soon, to see Dean back so soon. This was not expected. There was some hints during the hiatus that Michael was, like, we were going to get Dean back pretty soon. But again, sitting on the second episode of the season, I was like, wow, that was a short run. And it raises questions of, you know, when is this hanging sword above us going to fall? Yes, absolutely. And we end on last scene. Yes. The final scene is good old Nick approaching a mirror covered in blood and there's no lights on in the room. He sets down this hammer in front of him and we see that Artie is super dead. <laughs> creepy, creepy neighbor is, uh... I refuse to call him creepy, although I do understand where it's coming creepy from. Creepy neighbor. 
I'm like spineless neighbor. It's super not. Yeah, he's 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 not breathing. <laughs> and yeah, compared to what we had before, he the lights are turned off, and Nick just he seems calm. He seems clear headed, and just sets the hammer down and pieces out. Uh, that is a good point. That is a good point. We. He is again retreating in this act of violence. He has this calm. He has this clear headedness that we were not seeing from him before. And, um, and also on this like moment of, of calm and clarity for Nick is this Lucifer that, that damage to his psyche that we were talking about earlier, or is this the return of Lucifer or is it, um, just Nick on a mission. Yeah. Is this a precursor to something more or is this something inherent to Nick himself? So more questions, 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 questions. Questions about. Uh (laughs) Yeah. So then we've reached the end of the episode here. What was your big takeaway? What was the stuff that you liked and what did you not? Uh, My one big takeaway my one big takeaway would be really I mean as much as I loved cast this whole episode it would have to be all the insight that we got on Jack on this episode um uh, we we see more on where he is on feeling about his current situation and that 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 petulant teenager thing i mean i can just uh, see projecting into the mm-hmm. the rest of yeah. the season like oh this is not this is good this is good like it's something exciting this is the terrible twos but it is the terrible <laughs> it's the terrible twos um and and uh, I do, I do, and will always really, really, really love that Jack and Mr. and Mrs. Klein scene where where Jack really does revisit his touchstone of his mother and yes. finds the way forward. Yes, no kidding. That Kelly is such a strong grounding force for him, and it really gives him strength moving forward. Mm-hmm. What's your final thoughts? Again, the Shirley Temple, like, chin hands, like. <laughs> I I think that I have to go with Cass. There was so much character development that happened for him this episode. We got to see him moving away from those old elements that he has doubts of his self-worth and doubts of his value. And we see him in this episode really forming relationships or attempting these human connections. And it's it takes this vulnerability to try and connect with people. And to see Cass is confident enough in these areas that he was previously weak in to extend the hand to Jack and to extend the hand to Nick and be like, I sympathize, I can connect with you. It was such a great moment to see that Cass has stepped forward as a character and in confidence in himself to become capable of doing such things. Cass was such a shining star this episode 
And what a good babysitter. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was so afraid at the at the top end of this episode. I was so afraid that when Sam was like, so why can't you come with us? Um, we were just going to shuttle like it was just me rolling my eyes. Oh, here we go again. We're going to shuttle Cass off to the side. Uh, but we did it. We did it. He he really got we got we got more on Cass this episode than I would say we got in the past two seasons combined. Which is insane. It's mind-blowing and amazing. Yeah. And, like, as good as he was connecting with them, he actually is a terrible babysitter because he (laughs) lost both children (laughs) in the same... Like, he loses one. He loses the other. They're just in and out the door. It's like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) You're right. What a... think about that he's not a good babysitter okay like jack comes back he's like where were you and then it's like where's nick where are you going you know what i told them that this was babysitting sam's gonna walk back into the room and and cast you had one job who's standing at the end of the stairs like i'm sorry you had one job cast come on that's fucking hilarious i love it (laughs) so yeah Mm -hmm. Cass great heart terrible babysitting great heart terrible babysitting yeah yeah and that is that is season 14 episode 2 gods and monsters gods and monsters yes join us next week for uh, episode 3 I don't know the name of the episode but next week I will know the name of the next episode Join us next week as we continue down our season 14 rewatch. Yes, what she said. Uh, and this, and, and you can, if we miss anything in this episode or you want to talk more about this episode or you just want to say that we did a good job. Um, well, and also if you guys have thoughts for episodes down the road that you want to maybe bring up as points that we can talk about, then please feel free to send them into our email address. It is nochickflickpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach us at Tumblr or Twitter at nochickflickpod for Twitter and nochickflickpodcast at Tumblr. And yeah, send us an ask or, or mention us, uh, spread, our, spread our name around. We'll, we always appreciate uh, asks and mentions. And we, we, we thank you guys for coming this far along with us, and we hope to see you next week. We'll see you there. Bye. Bye.